You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Vision Builders, Vision Builders Month, enlarge. You guys ready to enlarge today? Now, here, here's the deal. Today's message, um, it's, uh, I, I think it's, I mean, I know it's from God because I was standing over there last week and God told me what to preach this week. Um, but it's normally a message I would say for the apprenticeship, for the Pathfinder's apprenticeship, because it's one of those like big boy pant messages. It's like, it's for the mature people, no immaturity. And I, so I have faith that God thinks that you guys are mature enough to hear this and, uh, and, uh, and engage and hopefully it'll, it'll help us today. But I want to talk to you about the concept of inheritance, inheritance. And um, a, few, a few years ago, my parents, now they're getting in their, in their 70s, and they started talking about, um, you know, eventually, obviously, we all die, so they're going to pass away at some point, and they wanted to get their affairs in order. And so they um, created a trust. Trust is like a will. It's like what happens to, to, to your assets after you pass away. And so they asked me if I could be their executor of the trust which, you know, I was kind of honored to, to be that. My sisters are older than me, and yet they chose me. And uh, so that was cool. Um, so now I'm in charge of dispersing whatever assets are left when they, when they, when they pass. And, um, and I was thinking about this concept of inheritance and, and what that means. And to receive an inheritance from my family, all I really had to do was be born into the family. And then someone has to die. Good. That wasn't supposed to be sad. That was, that was good. So, so I got to be born into the family and then someone has to die. And as long as I don't turn my back on my family, it's actually very simple to receive an inheritance. And a, a, a trust, a trust, a document, a trust is a document, it's paper. And the, that piece of paper or that document has no power unless somebody dies. So until there's bloodshed, until somebody dies, there's no power in that trust. Nothing can be executed in that trust. Um, it has no power. But once somebody dies, it now has power, and now the executor has the authority to carry out the promises and disperse the assets that were left by whoever it was that died. In Hebrews 9, 11 to 12, it says this, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered into the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. So we have an Old Testament where they used to have to bring in goats and calves and all kinds of things and slaughter them to, to bloodshed and then make an exchange, the, the imperfection of the people for the perfection of the animal. Um, but then there was, there was the Lamb of God, Jesus, who was slain from the foundation of the world, who came and shed his perfect blood once and for all, 
therefore uh, making us righteous in Christ. So how many people are glad we're New Covenant Christians that now we don't have to bring in goats and calves and different things and slaughter them on a daily basis so that we can become righteous, but that Jesus took care of it all on the cross. And because he did that, this book has power. Now the New Testament has power because Jesus died and shed his blood. And now this just isn't a document of words. It's backed by the blood of Jesus. It's backed by the blood of Jesus. Galatians 4, 4 to 7 says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons or as children. And because you are children of God, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So you and I, if we've received Christ, have been born into the family of God. So now we are sons of God. Therefore, we have access to things that we did not earn. We have access to things that we did not work for or earn, but we have legal right to it now because we've been adopted into the family of God in Christ. There's a, there's a young man at our church named Caden, and he has been adopted by Darren and Gina Thevathasen. You guys might know, might know them. He's like this tall. He's this little Indian dude, and uh, they adopted him from India. And I don't know what his life was like before he was adopted into this family, but I know it wasn't like it is now. He was an orphan, and now he's not. Now he's come into a family, and he's got a mom and a daddy who love him unconditionally. He's got a refrigerator that's full of food. He's got a pantry with the overflow that we couldn't put in the, in the refrigerator. He's got this awesome house. He loves to run. He's got this big hallways that he can run up and down and run up and down. I've been there when he does. It's hilarious. And uh, he's got a, a pool, he's got a jacuzzi, a fire pit, all these toys because he was adopted into this family and now he has access to things he would have never had access to had he not been adopted. There's so much power in adoption. There's so much power in adoption. You and I have been adopted into the family of God so now we have access to things that we didn't formally have access to. That scripture says you are no longer a slave but a son. A slave is much different than a son or an heir. A slave uh, has to do whatever he's told. A slave has uh, no future. A slave has no inheritance. A slave has no authority. But a son is much different than a slave. A son has access to everything that is in the father's house or in the king's house. And when that father, that king passes, the son gets all of those things that he has. But as he walks into that kingdom, he has access to all of those things that the king had. Um, he's a son not a slave. Now, in a normal circumstance, my parents or, uh, or your parents or whoever that would leave you an inheritance would have to die. They would leave you your inheritance and you would go on and enjoy that inheritance, you know, with your family or whatever, but your, your family would be passed away. Uh, in this case, Jesus died, gave you access to the kingdom, your inheritance, but then he rose again because he wants to enjoy the inheritance that he died and paid for with you when you're alive in this life and in the next life. It's incredible. My parents, my parents are going to be leaving us an inheritance of some sort, but they made it clear to us, uh, to my sisters and, and my nieces and nephew and my kids, that they're going to take a portion of their inheritance that they would normally leave to us when they passed, and they're going to use it to enjoy with us now in this life where they're still alive. 
So they take a piece of their inheritance and they rent a beach house every year for a week where my sisters and my, and my kids and my niece and nephews go and we spend a week together as we enjoy their inheritance with them before they die. That's what's happening right now. You have access to uh, uh, an inheritance and your daddy is still alive to enjoy it with you. And here's the thing, you and I are the executors of that trust. You and I determine how much of our inheritance is dispersed in this life. We are the executors. You can step into it or you don't have to. But you're the executor of this trust. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. None of us deserve the kingdom. We weren't born in like some special people that, that deserve what comes in the kingdom. What comes in the kingdom is power, is peace, is joy, is love, is prosperity, is healing. There's so many things that come in the kingdom that you and I don't deserve or, or you know, we're not entitled to. But because God is good, because God is good, he is giving it as a gift and he is passionate about you. He wants to bless you. He wants you to be successful. Um, but like any good father or any good parent, he puts in a few stipulations, a few principles that he wants you and I to learn to activate and take full advantage of the inheritance that he's left for us. He doesn't do that so that you can be, so that, uh, you know, because he doesn't want to get stuff to you. He does it so that you don't squander what he's paid for. You may have heard of different families or parents that have a big inheritance and they leave it to their kids without stipulation. And then, you know, within 12 months, it's just gone. You know, they might have a boat or a car or something, but that's it about it. And their life goes down the drain. Then you have other parents and families who put stipulations in place, who teach their kids how to create wealth and what that means to, to uh, steward money. And they might make them have a degree of some sort before they get a portion of their inheritance. They may, they may ask that they get married before they get their inheritance or get to a certain age or have a certain job or get some sort of certain license or whatever so that they can steward better what their parents worked so hard to accumulate and so they don't squander it. So that's how God is. But he doesn't do it because he doesn't want to bless us. Here's what the Bible says in, in Luke 12, 32. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Psalm 35, 27. Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. I didn't know that Christians were supposed to prosper until I got here. I was like an underground prospering Christian. I don't want to tell anybody because it was embarrassing to be a Christian and have money. In fact, God has given you the power to get wealth to establish his covenant in the earth. He wants to establish his covenant in the earth, which is why he wants you to prosper. It's not just for you to have a Lamborghini and a mansion. Although, as I always say, if you have a Lamborghini and a mansion, give me a ride and invite me over. But it's so that you can be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. When, uh, when, uh, and it is, it is God's good pleasure to give you things, to, to let you enjoy things. My wife and I love uh, to go to Cancun. We try to go on a vacation with just me and her by ourselves every single year. And uh, it's like every time we do this, it's like you rediscover each other. You're like, hello, wife that I married, you know, 17 years ago. <laughs> vacation Becky is what I call her. And... Uh, <laughs> 
And I'm sure she's saying the same things. Why are you being so nice to me? Like, I don't know. Um, so we try to do that every year. And we like to go to all-inclusive resorts. Can I get an amen? amen. Pastor Kenny and, and uh, Ashley just went to the Dominican on an all-inclusive resort. How fun is it? The last time we went, the last time we went, we took my kids. Uh, and it was hilarious. Because what you do in an all-inclusive is you, you pay for it. And then you go there. It's already, it's already paid for. So when you go there, you now have access to everything at the resort. All the games, all the food, all the drinks, whatever. So when you get there, uh, when we got there, we took our kids to the to the ice cream parlor, and they have they have all kinds of candy and like brownies and cookies and ice cream, and we're like, kids, you can get whatever you want. And they're like, <laughs> like whenever you want. And they're like, where? Who are you guys? You know? <laughs> they're like rediscovering their parents too. They're like, wow, this is amazing, and so. Uh, so, so they, they ordered whatever they want, and they would run back there, you know, throughout the day and order more stuff. And we're just like, who cares, you know? It's already, it's already been paid for. Just go order whatever you want. And they can order it all at the same time if they want. And the people that work there have to give it to you because you already paid for it. It's amazing. And so then we go to the pool, and we'd order food. And they would bring us the food. And every time they would bring you something, and I'd say, thank you, thank you. And they'd be like, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. They say it's so cute the way they say it. And I actually think they mean it. Like, this is the greatest service, the greatest people. And, uh, and so then, then I was standing in line, and I heard for something, and I heard this guy talking about how there's like a butler, like a, um, like a concierge on every, on every level, on every floor. And I was like, I wonder if we have, we have that. And he was talking to his wife, and he said that he had just got a lavender pillow. And I was like, I want a lavender pillow. <laughs> so I called my concierge and I said, sir, can you bring me a lavender pillow? He said, absolutely, sir. It's a pleasure. So he brings me this lavender pillow. Now, I didn't know if I was getting a purple pillow or what it was. I just knew I didn't have it. And so it was available to me. So I wanted to get it. A lavender pillow is actually a scented pillow. Like, it has fragrances, and it makes you sleep better. And so um, every time we go, we discover new things we didn't know we had access to the previous time. Jesus Christ has paid full price and given you access to all of these things, and every time you pray with him and press into him, you will discover new things that you didn't previously know you had access to, but you have access to. And he's already paid for it. He's already paid for it. And it's his good pleasure to give it to you. But there are a few things that we have to put into place in our lives to kind of unlock the full inheritance in our life. And the first one is generosity. Generosity. We cannot be generous unless we tithe. Tithing is not generosity, but tithing is how you get to generosity. Generosity starts at 11%. A tithe is 10%. You can't tithe 5% because tithe means a tenth. That's what it means. It means a tenth. So I used to think that I could just, you know, tip God and uh, that God would be blessed by my 20 bucks. I would throw in the plate as it went by. That was me. I know it was really fun until right now, huh? This message is really fun. But, 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 uh, but that's what the tithe is. And the tithe is a key to you being generous, which unlocks the kingdom 
over your life. Let me just read you a verse. Malachi 3.10, one we all know. Bring all the tithes, 10%. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now, try me now on this, says the Lord. You you know that God is a man because he said, try me. He's like, challenge me. Try me now on this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So the tithe opens heaven over your life so that God can pour out blessing into your life. If you don't bring the tithe and heaven stays shut over your life, how can he pour out blessing? So the tithe is the key that unlocks heaven over your life. So, so, so once, you get, once you get through the tithe, then you will start to discover what generosity really is, and that's what Vision Builders is. Vision Builders is above your tithe, and that's where you get into generosity, and that's where it gets really, really exciting. Sowing and reaping in the Bible, it talks about God, uh, let me just read it to you, Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man, not a Christian man, not a you know, CEO, just whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So sowing and reaping is in the Bible, but it works outside of the kingdom. So if you are a person that doesn't believe in Jesus, but you sow good things, you're going to reap good things. It says, whatever a man sows, you'll reap. So if you sow money or generosity, you will reap money or generosity. If you sow healing, you'll receive healing. If you sow corruption or deceit, you'll receive corruption and deceit. So so sowing and reaping works in the world um, and in the kingdom. When my wife and I were struggling financially and we were, we would always tithe, but you know, depending on how well you're doing sometimes determines how much you can give, right? How generous can you be? If you don't have any money to be generous, you can't be generous. So we didn't have a whole lot of money to, to give or to be generous. And so what we didn't want to do is get out of the blessing of God. And so we had all this furniture from my kids. They had outgrown the furniture, they had outgrown the clothes, and we could have sold the furniture and sold the clothes and received money, but then that would have been our blessing. That would have been our reward. Instead of selling it, we sowed it. We gave it to people because we wanted to start that cycle and stay in that, stay in that heavenly realm and actually invoke the power of God on our sowing. And so we sowed with intention of receiving. Um, and, and so we, we sowed. And wouldn't you know, just like a couple of months later, we ended up getting uh, brand new beds, well, basically brand new beds, from somebody else that were the size uh, that my kids were, because my, my boys were growing, they had outgrown their old stuff. So we got these almost brand new beds from somebody that was better than what we sowed because it would be a mockery of God, according to that verse, for him not to respond to when we sow. It would be a mockery of God. So God responded, but the good thing about God is if you're a Christian, if you're a son, he responds better than you sowed. He responds better than you sowed. Shouldn't that be the case? If we are sons and daughters of God, shouldn't there be a difference? If sowing and reaping works in the world, shouldn't there be a difference in the kingdom? There's an inheritance in the kingdom that they don't have in the world. Let me just read it to you. Here's, here's, here's where it gets amazing. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, 8, and 10. It says, so let each one give. So now we know we're in generosity because we bring the tithe. We return the tithe to God because it's his. But when it says give, that means we're into generosity. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, at my old churches, they would say, uh, we're going to come around a time of giving. God loves a cheerful giver. And everybody would be like, and I'd be like, why is that exciting? 
It's my money. They never, they never kept reading the verse to tell us why we should be excited. Let me just tell you why you should be cheerful. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Now may he, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you promised to sow. That's not what it says. It says, and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. This is when it gets exciting. This is why sowing and reaping is different in the kingdom. This is why you need to get to a place of generosity because God multiplies the seed that you sow so that you reap more than you sowed. That was way more exciting than that. <laughs> so God multiplies the seed that you sow and he gives seed to the sower. The reason he gives seed to the sower is because he's trying to build the church. He's trying to, so when he finds somebody who's willing to sow, he's gonna find a way to get you some seed. And then he's gonna multiply that seed because you are called to be blessed to be a blessing. See how it works? It's like this, it's like this whole, it's like this whole thing. But wait, there's more. Matthew 6, 25 and 26. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. They don't save. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So he's talking about these birds in the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't save. Yet, their heavenly father takes care of them. Are you not more valuable than they? So I'm not saying we don't need to sow. This is why it's big boy pants day. Big boy pants day. We're not saying you don't need to sow. I don't want you to have to depend on a miracle every time you need something. If you continually sow, you should be in a continual state of reaping. Is that right? I'm not saying you don't need to sow, but what I'm saying is you may be here today and you didn't realize that you had to sow. You didn't realize that was a part of the kingdom. You may be here and you might need breakthrough in an area that you haven't sown in yet. Maybe you made a mistake. Don't reduce God to the size of your sow. He's bigger than that. Don't look to what you've sown as your provider. Look to God who is your provider and he will supply all of your needs through his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Don't limit him to what you've sown. He can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you've ever asked or thought. Maybe you didn't even know you were gonna need to get breakthrough in an area, but God's already got you covered. Jesus was walking down the road with Peter and they needed to pay taxes. And so what Jesus does, it says, hey, Peter, you're a fisherman. Go catch a fish. The first one you catch, open its mouth. There's going to be a coin. Pay our taxes with it. It's mind-blowing. Jesus didn't ponder, have I sowed so that I can reap a coin in a fish's mouth? He didn't do that. He just created a miracle. He's a miracle-working God. All things are possible with him. 
but he used Peter in his earthly assignment of fisherman to bless him. I'll get back to that in a minute. So then Jesus is, is, is approached by 5,000 people, or he's in front of 5,000 people who need to eat. And he has five loaves and two fish. He doesn't sit there and ponder if he sowed fish or if he sowed bread previously so that he could feed these people. He took the fish, he took what he had, he, he blessed it, looked to heaven, and God multiplied the fish and the bread to feed 15, 20,000 people. God is bigger than what you have in your hand and God is bigger than what you've sown. God can do the miraculous. And the more you walk with him, you will find out how big he is. You will discover new things about him. Don't be limited to what you've sown. But make sure you sow. Make sure you sow. The next one is, uh, so the first one is generosity. The second one is hard work. Hard work. There is no substitute for hard work. And I have to say this because there are Christians that when I tell you you're meant to prosper, will not go to work. They'll go sit on the couch and pray and believe God that there's going to be some unexpected check that comes through the wall. When the Bible, maybe that'll happen, but it probably won't happen unless you go to work and on your way home, you check the mailbox and you see that there's an unexpected check in there. Proverbs 6, 10, and 11 says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall your poverty come on you like a prowler. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Some people live by faith, other people's faith. We need to work like it's up to us, and pray like it's up to God, and watch him do what he does. Deuteronomy 28, 12 to 13. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give you the rain in your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head, not the tail. You shall go above only and not beneath, if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. It says, and the Lord will bless the work of your hand. God can't put his hand on something unless you put your hand to something. As soon as you put your hand to something, he can put his hand on something and the blessing of God can flow into your world. That's why he said, hey, Peter, go and catch a fish because that is what you're good at. That's what your earthly assignment has been up until this point. I will use your assignment. I will use your career. I will use your business to bless you. But first, I need you to put your hand to something. And once you put your hand to something, I'm going to put my hand on something. I'm going to put my hand on something. And I believe that we can actually prosper as Christians in every season. Mark 11, 12 to 14 says this. It says, now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see it. Perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response to Jesus, he said to it, let no one eat from you ever again. So Jesus comes to this fig tree. It has leaves. It looks like it should have some fruit on it. He's hungry. He's Jesus. He knows it's not the season for figs, yet... He still goes to this tree expecting there to be figs, expecting there to be fruit on it. I believe God expects us to produce fruit 
in every season. He knew it wasn't the season for figs. He got so angry, he became hangry because he was hungry. And then he went into the temple and, and, fold, and flipped over the tables. This made him hangry. He expects his kids, you and I, to produce in every single season. He expects us to preach in every season, in season and out of season. He expects us to produce in season and out of season. Will there be seasons that are better than others? Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe during this season, the oranges are growing, but maybe in this season, the lemons are growing. There will always be something growing if you are in the kingdom, if you expect to. I preached a, a couple of weeks ago about the gate beautiful, the lame man that was carried to the gate beautiful for 40 years. Beautiful means in season. It means the season is now, but he never unlocked his healing until he started to expect to receive something. And as soon as he started to expect to receive something, he got his miracle. Just because things aren't going amazing, don't stop expecting because you never know what God wants to do, but it's your expectation, especially in seasons where it doesn't look like things are going well, where you can get your miracle to be released in your life, amen? Jeremiah 1, 10 to 12 Jeremiah is nine, between nine and 14 years old. And the Bible says this, see, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah said, I see a branch of an almond tree. And the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. When I read that verse, I did a little study on the almond tree. And I said, why is it that when he saw the almond tree, God was like, right, I am ready to perform my word. An almond tree buds before all the other trees. It buds out of season. And so he, when he was looking at Jeremiah, he said, I know you're only between nine and 14. I mean, God knew how old he was. But he said, you might only be nine years old. You may not be ready for what I have for you but I'm gonna cause you to bud before your time. I'm gonna cause you to be successful without the degrees, without the experience, without the mentorship, because I'm God and I have given you an inheritance and it's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I know it may not be your season, but I'm gonna cause you to bud even before your season. Let me just tell you, there is never a season in God where you can't produce. Don't let the devil tell you, well, I, I know there's seasons and this is my season to just be poor or be in poverty or not be successful. God wants you to prosper in every season, in every season. Number three, you probably know that it would be a good idea for you to be generous. You probably know that, you know, hard work's probably a good thing in your world, but I don't know if you've given yourself permission to prosper. I don't know if you've given yourself permission to prosper. I didn't know, as I said, that you could prosper as a Christian until I got here. I didn't have permission in my own head, in my own brain, in my own spirit to prosper. I grew up playing, playing sports, and, and uh, I always knew that, or always thought, that if I could just outwork everybody else, I would have a greater reward. And so after a game, I would go into the gym, and it would excite me to see nobody else in there because it would, I would think that I got an edge. If I'm working out when nobody else is, that's giving me an edge. So the next day when I would go out to play, I would step in the box going, hey, I didn't see you working last night. Just get it, you know, I would have confidence because I was working harder than everybody else. And then I, I got into commercial real estate and I knew every time I earned my money because I didn't get paid unless I closed a deal. And so if I didn't close a deal, I didn't get paid. I didn't eat. 
And so as soon as I close the deal, I know I earned my money. So there was this work reward thing. I couldn't get it through my head when God started to deal with me about inheritance that God would be willing to give me things that I didn't earn. Bible says, seek him first and all of these things will be added to you. You may be here and you've never given yourself permission to prosper because you've been told that it's your experience isn't worthy of it. Or maybe you have a bad, uh, a, a bad definition of prosperity. Maybe you grew up in a church and it was like the P word was the bad word, prosperity which we define as not how much you make, but how much you give. So prosperity might have a bad, you might have a bad memory of prosperity growing up. Today, I want to give you permission to prosper. I want you to give yourself permission to prosper. I want God to speak to you about prosperity. Marissa shared the verse. Pastor Marissa said, beloved, I pray that you would prosper in all things and be in health just as you're soul prospers. If, if God is in you, prosperity is your portion. It is your inheritance. The inheritance that he died to give you. But we're the executors. We decide how much of that inheritance gets dispersed into our world. Can you, can you stand up, please? Stand to your feet. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I want you to take the limitations off of your mind today about what you've learned about the kingdom and prosperity and really let God speak to you and go back. I have 13 pages of notes on this stuff. What I just told you was about four pages. There is verse after verse after verse after story after story in the Bible. God is a good God. God is a good God. And he, it is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants you to ask him for the lavender pillow. He wants you to discover new things. He wants you to be exposed to the bigness of God. He wants to bless you with things that you didn't earn. Sometimes it's hard for us to receive that or to give us ourselves permission to receive that. So I want you to just close your eyes. I just want to pray for you. Just turn your palms towards heaven. Father, I thank you. I thank you that we have permission to prosper. The Bible says you've given us all things to enjoy here on earth. And we know there's seasons, there's ups and there's downs and there's pain and there's grief. But that doesn't give us the right to not prosper, to not step into the kingdom which you died to give us. So Lord, I pray that today we would give ourselves permission to prosper. I break the power of poverty in Jesus' name. I come against that poverty mindset. In Jesus' name, I break your power. I break your power in Jesus' name. The Bible says Jesus became poor that we might become rich. Rich in the sense that we are blessed to be a blessing. You can have more than you need. 
so that we can build the kingdom. San Diego needs awakened church. The world needs awakened church. The world needs Jesus. That's who we preach, Jesus. So Father, I thank you right now for the blessing of God. Lord, I, you are a wonder-working God, just like we sang. A wonder-working God. A wonder-working God. In fact, when I'm done, maybe we can sing that a couple of times. We can just sing that. A wonder-working God. A wonder-working God. And those of you who've never lifted your hands in worship, maybe you could lift your hands today. Maybe your physiology will help change your mind about who God is. Before we do that, I want to ask this question. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus into your life, or if you've never, or maybe you've taken your life back, but today you want to rededicate your life. You didn't know there was an inheritance waiting for you. If that's you, if you've never given your life to Christ, or you want to rededicate today, can you just lift your hand? I want to pray for you right before we sing. Is there anybody like that? Thank you. Thank you in there. Thank you. Thank you back there. Thank you. Amen. Is there anybody else? Over here to my right. Thank you. Thank you. See those two hands. Thank you. Amen. Thank you over here to my left. Thank you, guys. God bless you. God bless you. Let's everybody in the building say these words, and then we're going we're gonna to sing a song in just a second. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for my sins. Lord Jesus, today, I invite you into my life, and I ask that you would help me live a life that glorifies you. I ask that I would know that I have permission to prosper in every area of my life. I declare I am saved. I am a son. I am an heir of Jesus Christ. And heaven is my home. God is my father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.